guys to a new episode of the V Superheroes. Uh, hi, Fredericks. Hi, Stan. Hi, hi Stan. The hey, one and only. The one and only. Yeah, I'm, I'm the only one. And and uh, and and maybe um, to today's episode, um, we need to re-explain the podcast's purpose. Yes, I think right. Yes. Um, so the purpose of the podcast, we we said it. I think once in the beginning, way in the beginning, uh, I think we we said uh, what V Superheroes is actually. Um, what the, what the purpose is of our podcast is yeah. to bring local superheroes and that's partners, colleagues, uh, people that are living in our own industry doing doing uh, nice stuff um, that are actually doing the the nice stuff at the customers that are actually our, our superheroes for VMware. And today uh, we also have a, a guest, which is a, a new superhero in the family. Hooray! So, yeah, <laughs> welcome Dieter on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Glad to be here. So, uh, Dieter, uh, you uh, you joined us from uh, from Pivotal. Yes, that's correct. So, uh, so tell us tell us what uh, today's yeah purpose basically of, of today's podcast is uh, that you uh, enlighten us what Pivotal comes to do in our and, VMware and, family. And yeah. you might as well start by explaining who is Peter. Dieter, uh, Dieter, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> there, there, you, there you go. <laughs> we don't know who Peter is, uh, but uh, Dieter can explain him. Yeah, I don't know uh, Peter, but uh, I, I meant, <laughs> I meant yes, Dieter. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's a syntax error in my brain. No <laughs> well, problem. No, no worries. But <clears throat> so, uh, so Dieter, so uh, yeah, maybe uh, yeah, introduce yourself, and then maybe what uh, what 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 Pivotal is all about, because uh, from a VMware perspective. Um, Pivotal was a let's call it a, a strange animal in our in our family. Uh, so right mm-hmm. now, uh, right now, uh, what is what is Pivotal coming come and doing our in our family, and and what is the what is the purpose of Pivotal within uh, within VMware? Uh, okay, sure. So uh, my name is Dieter Hubo. I'm a platform architect at Pivotal, uh, now part of VMware to do it officially, and. Um, a platform architect is roughly the same as a, a solution engineer at uh, VMware. Uh, we don't like to be called officially pre-sales because we do more than pre-sales, that's more, or that's what we uh, want to achieve. Mm-hmm. Um, and I joined Pivotal last year, uh, so I'm, I'm still um, a junior at Pivotal, but uh, a one year at Pivotal was usually means that, that you uh, already are a veteran because um, there were so many people joining even last year still. So, so we're growing, especially in uh, EMEA. Uh, and what Pivotal was trying to do, um, or what the mission of Pivotal was, is, is to transform how the world builds software. Okay, you say was? <laughs> that was our mission uh, when we were uh, Pivotal uh, by ourselves. Uh, we were a sister company of VMware. Um, both companies were uh, under the Dell in the Dell family, mm-hmm. uh, and now that we are acquired, um, there's going to be uh, some changes uh, for the better, I think. And uh, we will be part of the um, VMware Tanzu uh, vision now, mm-hmm. uh, which means that um, we we will um, be part of a new business unit within VMware, and our new mission statement is to um, Catalyze enterprise transformation through software. That's a mouthful. It's a mouthful. Yeah, uh, yeah, a mouthful yeah. yeah exactly. You're going exactly. to have to explain that one to us. Um, so catalyze is a very fancy word to uh, to enable or empower or, or enable uh, enterprise transformation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the keyword is like is, is of course enterprise transformation. A lot mm-hmm. of enterprises are are going through this kind of. Um, Transformation in the sense um, they knew they need to renew the way 
they build software. They need to renew their legacy software into modern software. Uh, and a lot of companies are investing uh, quite a lot of money uh, into this right now. Okay, and so um, maybe back back to what your function is, because you said mm -hmm. we, do, we do more than uh, than only uh, what a solution engineer does within VMware. Um, what are you doing more? Because that's, if I look at, for example, the three of us here in the in the room are uh, are, all, are all all solution engineers, um, so mm -hmm. we're all in a in a certain area uh, we are a specialist um but we are doing uh, presentations proof of concepts uh, uh bringing bringing the word out uh, evangelizing uh answering difficult questions from partners and customers um uh, what are you doing more because we want to we want to learn as well um, <laughs> teach us teach us teach yeah, us so, enlighten us <clears throat> um our role also includes the fact that we, when when we sell uh, our main products or when we sell our services, we want to make these customers successful. I know that uh -huh. you, that is your intention as well. Mm -hmm. uh, but our role also includes to stay at the customer and try to enlarge their footprint on the platform that we sell um, to make them more successful. Um, Basically, the customer success is our success. Can I compare it? Can I compare then with what we do around customer success? Then, because we have a separate division that mm -hmm. does that kind of mm -hmm. approach, yeah. and, and so, they help the customers to broaden the scope, uh, look for new projects, those kind of things. Uh, yeah. So uh, in Pivotal, we are actually part of the customer success organization. Uh -huh. um, so that's that's an integral part of of Pivotal, and um, uh, we also try to look at um, the, the customer success from a business perspective. Um, uh, you probably heard that Pivotal is always hammering um, down the point of if we need to give the customer business outcomes, of positive mm -hmm. business outcomes. Uh, so we're not just delivering uh, technology, tooling, um, services. We try to make their business successful. So we always focus really hard on the business outcomes and we interact usually with, uh, or preferably with the business people. Uh, so that might be different than, than from the traditional VMware perspective. Yeah, I, I think I think you guys are, are talking to a whole uh, new level of people within an organization that we already know from an infra point of view or from an, uh, for, for example, for uh, for Frederick from an end user computing point of view. Uh, but you guys are, are really, um, talking to the to the to the business lines, then, if I'm uh... well, preferably yes. So um, um, I've I've been traveling a bit with some of your colleagues uh, at, the, at the, the the local accounts, mm -hmm. and usually VMware comes in um, uh, historically from from the infrastructure level. So from the um, the uh, you, you talk to the infrastructure architects, the the uh, sometimes the CIOs. Um, and what we prefer to do is talk to development teams, lines of business, uh, and maybe uh, CIO, of course, as well. Um, but we really want to know where the business value lies, which apps are the most important um, enablers for that business, uh, and which apps drive, drive the biggest uh, revenue for the business. Yeah. Um, yeah. And what is what is for you the, the 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 entry point? For example, if you go into if you if you go to a customer from with the name or the the the, the head-on of Pivotal, um, what is the what is the, the the most important entry point or the most important question you ask in a meeting where you can basically lift on the on that question, 
you can lift off for the rest of the meeting? Um, we focus very hard on uh, what we call the path to production. Mm -hmm. um, so, so we try to ask and figure out uh, how the customer uh, nowadays gets from a business idea to production and, and what kind of steps they need to uh, traverse for that. So mm -hmm. um, usually, um, traditionally, it begins with a business idea. Uh, he needs to form this business idea, make a business um, case for it, needs to... Um, uh, I don't know, propose it to someone that can approve or, or budget for that. Yeah. And uh, then some kind of project will roll out of that. Uh, the project will be assigned to some IT um, team and um, they will build a solution. Either uh, depending on the company uh, or the maturity, it will be uh, old school waterfall kind of way of, of developing mm -hmm. software, or it will already be agile um, scrum kind of setup on how to do the project. And then at some point they will deliver the software or a first uh, version mm -hmm. and, and then they can validate the business idea in production. So what, what we try to do is get that entire story, map it out and try to improve uh, as much as possible. So we want to, um, uh, just like Toyota in their lean methodology, they invented the, the lean methodology. Mm -hmm. Basically they want to um, cut all the waste in these processes. So um, it, it basically comes down to this. How can, how can we cut as much waste from this process? How can so, we automate uh, most uh, parts of the process, et cetera? And how, um, because I'm already thinking two steps forward, I think, and, and how do we uh, cut that waste? And Because uh, I'm, I'm a total newbie and, and I heard cutting waste and going uh, and delivering value and those kind of things, but, mm -hmm. but how? How, yeah. Um, so automation is a key part, um, and this, this is on, on many fronts that you can uh, enable or use automation uh, to cut more waste. Um, and with cutting waste, people think about um, firing people or laying off people, and usually that's, that's not the case. It's basically trying to get the manual tasks out of the process, uh, automating them, and uh, getting the people to use their time for um, valuable stuff, not, not the tedious um, repeat, repetitive tasks. Uh, so how um, it comes with, on an application perspective, it comes with um, automating the CI/CD pipeline. So um, automating um, building of the software, automating deploying of the software as much as possible. Mm -hmm. um, you need some kind of uh, platform for this, preferably container platform or an application platform mm -hmm. uh, where stuff like um, metrics, logging, uh, deployments itself, um, scaling, where all these kinds of tasks are, are can be completely automated. Uh, we also have um, our Pivotal Labs methodology that will probably, um, that name will stick. I think it's a trademark name. Uh, yeah, don't, I've, don't I've, quote me on that. I've heard about Pivotal Labs uh, um, uh, previously. Uh, by one of our other guests, Eric De Witte. Uh, he was, mm -hmm. he was, he was, uh, he's a very uh, big fan of Pivotal uh, and everything that has to do with containers and Kubernetes and all that stuff. Um, and he he, he he told me about Pivotal Labs on, on, on how you basically bring in a customer and try to um, get them from nothing to something in yeah a very yeah, small amount of time. Yeah, so, so uh, Pivotal Labs is the name that will stick, um, and this is our, our services um, 
that we offer. Uh, and it's basically comprised of uh, three things, um, three kinds of services um, broad, broadly. Uh, we have education services where we educate people on working with our platform, developing software, um, our software. Um, we have platform operations where we enable um, uh, like DevOps teams or um, platform teams, as we call them, enable them to operate the platform that, that, we, that we sell, uh, completely automated uh, setup, um, automated updates and, and scaling, stuff like that. Um, we try to make these people into uh, software liability engineers, like people that automate infrastructure, automate um, deployments, and that um, um, yeah, really uh, get the benefit from that. And the third one is where we actually do product development. So product development is um, different than um, building software through projects. Product development is something that does not have a beginning or an end. Well, it has a beginning, it has an end, but it's not fixed as in we're going to do a three-month project. Yeah, it's a double build horizon, basically. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You build a product as long as it's um, valuable to the end customer. Mm -hmm. So um, it has a cycle, and, and you develop the, pro the product, you add features, um, you um, look at end customer feedback or metrics, and improve uh, the pro product based on that. So if we build uh, if we build new products, so greenfield applications, uh, we usually try to take people into our pivotal labs for the first time. So this is one of our locations um, across the world. Uh, we have labs in London, Berlin, and Paris at the moment. London is by far the biggest, and uh, we really try to enable the customers, uh, developers. Uh, product management and, and designers and testers. So all the different kinds of people that you need to make software. We try to teach them how you can efficiently build modern software. Um, so we, we usually um, use extreme programming for this. So extreme programming is comprised of a couple of things like uh, pair programming. So we always um, program with two on one PC usually with two keyboards, two mouses, and one or two big screens. Um, this sounds a bit... Uh, it sounds really... Uh, it can sound ridiculous. I would say awkward, I would say. Uh, and also, yeah, it can sound uh, ridiculous if, if you think about it, but it, it really makes sense. If you work with two, two people on one PC, uh, there's usually one working and one explaining or one um, checking what he does or um, second-guessing his, his, what he's doing, asking him questions. Um, it's on the, at the same time, it's a code review. So um, someone is directly reviewing your code while you're writing it. Uh, in traditional software development, it's usually someone who writes codes, uh, someone who uh, tests his code, and then he pushes the code into a repository. He makes a pull request of some kind, and then someone else has to um, review that code separately. Yeah. So the other one needs to read the code and and get back into it, you lose time with it. Um, the review of the code goes back to the initial uh, author. He needs to check what the, what the review, what the remarks are, etc. So it's a very back and forth process. And when you pair program, there's no need for code review anymore after that mm. because you're already doing it. It sounds like a team building activity. Uh, to me. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's quite intense. Um, uh, people who have been writing software by themselves in a team, but by themselves for a long time, um, 
will find it very intense and very, um, uh, it demands a lot of energy. So, mm-hmm. so usually our, our pivots, as we call them, they, they code, I think, six hours a day only, not eight, for example, because it's really hard to stay focused with two people uh, for eight hours. Um, oh, so no. usually we have some kind of schedule where we code uh, three hours uh, in the morning, three hours in the afternoon with some breaks in between. Uh, we usually have some ping pong tables there. So to, to, um, Beer pong. to take your mind off. <laughs> Beer pong. That's on Friday Beer afternoon, pong. I think. Uh, is it always the same person that you're programming with? Then, or, or no, so that's another thing. Yeah. We rotate a lot. So usually yeah. um, you rotate in the week or over the weeks, you rotate to other people of the team. And in the Pivotal Labs, we have a lot of uh, pivots that just rotate over teams as well. So I think... It can be six weeks or eight weeks, and then you just go to another team and you learn another code base or you learn uh, other people. You but get then, people, so. then you're uh, so, and, so th- that is in, in an external location. So you you move mm-hmm. with uh, mm-hmm. let's say ten people of a customer to that external location, right? Yeah. So some kind of team. Uh, yeah. Very important that you bring all of the people from the team or the different yeah. roles. So not only developers. Also, product management designers, mm-hmm. etc. Makes sense. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. And then, and then you're going to uh, so, and and th- that team gets there, and they want to get to a certain point. They want to get some code written to put yeah. somewhere in production later on, right? So the, the ideal uh, scenario is that we um, develop software together with them, and we mm-hmm. deploy it very regularly into a production environment. So wow. even from the very start, the first week, the first two weeks. We already deliver some kind of MVP, so a minimum viable product, mm-hmm. to production. So preferably, that customer has a platform running already. Um, so we, we'd like to um, do these kind of engagements when we have our platform running as well, because our pivots can work with the platform mm. um, really well. Um, it, it, it takes away a lot of complexity with deployments. Uh, we have CI/CD pipelines that we can set up directly. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the platform. So this could be either uh, PKS, our, our Kubernetes uh, distribution, yeah. or it can be PAS, our, uh, our Cloud Foundry platform. Yeah. You, you say preferably, does it mean that it's not a hard requirement or? Um, it's not a hard requirement, but it's... Um, recommended. A, a really yeah, recommendation. Very recommended. Yeah. Yeah. Be- because recommended. we see the results. Yeah. Yeah. We have um, so many references and so many uh, good stories about people using the platform, even for the first time, where they're amazed at how so, easy it is. So if I mm-hmm. if I if I just wanna, because for me, uh, I'm I'm trying to uh, assemble my own CI/CD pipeline in my in my brain now. So mm-hmm. if if <laughs> to production, <laughs> yes, I want to get to production somewhere at the end of of an hour. Uh, but if you if you so. Basically, the customer already invested in in something that is um, pivotal, right? Mm-hmm. Before they go to the pivotal labs, a, a platform. Um, you, you mean? Yeah, usually, uh, yeah. It, usually, it's if it's a new customer, it happens a lot that that both are in parallel. So okay. we are uh, in parallel. For example, we're 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 doing a platform dojo, as we call it, um, where we teach uh, the platform team from the customer or the infrastructure people usually, um, we teach them how to deploy and manage the platform. Um, Usually we want to have people that are really excited about this. We want to have people that um, want to work with um, automation tools 
uh, that want to uh, learn new stuff. So people that are really excited about all this stuff, they are our best sponsors and yeah. they are like our advocates within the company. Your transformation um, transformation sponsors, basically. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so so we need business sponsors as well to, to invest in this kind of story. Um, but the first teams like the platform team, which mm -hmm. will treat the platform as a product, and the first team that does an, uh, a labs engagement with us or the first team that does uh, an uh, app modernization um, engagement with us, those need to be like the, the forefront uh, the forefront runners, or how do you call it, uh, really the, the advocates inside yeah. of the company. Yeah. Because um, we don't have that many services people. We, we cannot service a customer with thousands of developers ourselves. We don't have the manpower for that. So we need to enable the first teams and teach them how to teach others. Mm -hmm. yeah. So it's really a story of um, um, teaching people how to fish instead yeah. of giving them it's fish. A, it's Tra te teaching the teacher then. Train the trainer, yeah. yeah. Teaching the train teacher, the trainer, train. exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Learning how to fish. <laughs> so I, 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 I talked a little bit about application modernization. Mm -hmm. That's what we do usually uh, on-site with the client. And that's what we do um, to modernize legacy applications. So you'll see a lot of customers which still have uh, big mainframe um, applications with mm -hmm. thousands or millions lines, lines of, of COBOL. Uh, you see a lot of customers with giant WebSphere or WebLogic uh, application servers um, with uh, like 20 year old Java code in it. Um, so application modernization is a service that we do to completely revamp, refactor, um, modernize those those applications. And uh, and what is what are the because if you don't just pick it up, drop it in something modern, and uh, ta da, you're mm -hmm. done. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> exactly, not, it, it's, it's not, not easy. it's not an easy thing, or any, anyone else could do it. Yeah. Um, it's it's really we, we have um, a really pretty advanced uh, approach to this. Uh, we have what we call the Swift method. I think you can look it up uh, online as well. It's uh, the Swift method is, uh, I think you can find it on swiftbird.us. Maybe you can link Swift. it in the- Swiftbird. I will, Swiftbird. I will link it in the, in the speaker notes. Huh? Yeah, so it, it describes the Swift method and it's actually a combination of different exercises on how to modernize a really big software application. And it's a bunch of techniques and um, they're, they're completely, um, you can read all about them, but but you need to have it in your fingers to, to really teach it to someone else. Um, so usually it begins with, with some kind of event storming exercise. And event storming was not invented by us. It's it's from someone who uh, called um, uh, Alberto Brandolini, I think. Mm -hmm. I used to say Roberto, but it's Alberto. I always miss. Something Sorry. Exactly. This is ex really an, an exercise event storming that uh, includes uh, or involves a lot of the business people and a lot of the business people actually really like this mm. kind of um, exercise it's basically trying to make uh, trying to find order within the chaos of a big mm -hmm. application um, it's um, they're using a lot usually of on, on, on a huge whiteboard and we try mm -hmm. to map out all the business processes that a that this big application is doing it's it's comparable with uh, i i imagine that you read the book the Phoenix project and, and exactly they yeah. did something similar i think uh, in, in the book mm -hmm. 
Yeah, well, uh, the Phoenix project focuses a lot on, on the lean methodology as well. So trying to find waste and yeah. uh, trying to make uh, sense out of a big mess. And um, event storming has a different approach that it tries to um, list all the events that are happening in the application. And, the bit, and, and it needs to be more kind, kind of like business events. Mm -hmm. So the business people really know this stuff. They re get really excited once they start with this exercise. You will see people in, in one, we had a company that had a giant application that was basically doing everything that the core, everything core to their business. Mm -hmm. And it was going from HR to um, order management to distribution of orders to all kinds of stuff. So it was basically doing everything. And you really saw groups um, of people standing at different parts of the board because different kinds of people had different expertise. Mm -hmm. Someone was doing everything around order management. Another one was checking everything around distribution. And all those experts, the business experts, were really um, laying out all these events in, in big groups. And, and because it's a very natural uh, process because you see those groups um, rise up and mm -hmm. these groups actually can form new kinds of applications. So uh, order management, that seems like something you could um, encapsulate in a separate application. Mm -hmm. uh, distribution, same thing. So there's business domains that um, that originate from this exercise. And then you can, you can start seeing like, hmm, we can start separating this big application up into smaller pieces, yeah. uh, smaller but modules. Actually, what you're, what you're saying is that, that, um, the big application, when they're doing the exercise, they're basically already forming groups of application people that are basically, uh, yeah, they become new application owners for, for mm -hmm. that part. Yeah, of the, yeah, it looks like that. that when they're they doing probably the, already are, yeah. um, but they all are just using all the same application, different parts. Yeah. And it, it gives you a nice overview of where we can start splitting up. And you can also see the events that cause uh, the transition from one business domain to another business domain. Mm -hmm. right. it's, At it's some point, a... an order becomes um, a delivery somewhere. So mm -hmm. that's, that's like, it's a very simple example, but you can start the transition, seeing the transitions. And uh, that, that's where you can see um, messaging frameworks and other kinds of uh, tooling come into yeah. play. It, it's not only that, because from, in, in my mind, I immediately bridge to security. So... It sounds a lot like the information that's now coming out of the individual subcomponents of the bigger application can potentially generate, um, what's the word I'm looking for, relevant uh, data. Where before mm -hmm. it was one big cluster of information with all yeah, um, ungraspable uh, subcomponents, but now since every subcomponent has its individual task, you know how they're communicating with each other, so you can have relevant data coming out of that. And because it is split up in different subcomponents, the security you can um, um, enforce individually on them greatly heightens the, the, the total security of the entire application. Yeah, exactly. The, probably the different modules or different uh, subdomains, they will require uh, different users or different mm -hmm. roles to, to manage this. Uh, there's a lot of advantages in splitting up the code into microservices. That's the big microservice architecture that everyone wants to build now. But there's obviously some reasons for that because microservices allow you to uh, separate the business domains into smaller pieces. Mm -hmm. uh, 
you can start working with APIs on each of those domains. Um, you just communicate using APIs or message brokers. Um, you can enforce different kinds of security on the different components. You can scale the different components differently, uh, separately. So you don't need to have one big application that only scales vertically, like just give it more memory and more CPU until it dies. Um, you can start um, splitting them up and you can start scaling the, the smaller parts vert uh, horizontally. So um, like order management has an API to create orders and to ask for status updates on orders. This is a quite, this is a much simpler API than having one big API for the big application. So yeah. Yeah. It, it, um, it, it doesn't stop there. Right? Imagine that you have, uh, that one of the subcomponents is all about stock management. Then I mm -hmm. can imagine that in the end of the month, that specific sub process needs more resources than something else. And then exactly. um, as soon as all the billing needs to be done, that specific component gets more resources because now the stock is pretty static and, and, and stuff like that. Yeah, so that, that's, the, um, that's some technical advantages of going to microservices. And there's also um, new problems that arise with that. Um, I, when, I you're imagine, inside, yeah. Yeah, when you're inside of a big application, um, communication between parts is, is usually internally. It's with remote uh, pr uh, method invocation. It's very efficient. Once you start um, pulling them apart, you have nice APIs, but that means you have communication over HTTP or you have communication over a message broker. So there's more things in communication that can go wrong. Yeah. Um, so you need to be careful that you're not just building a distributed monolith where, where everything is still tied together, but you're just splitting it out, splitting it out over the network. Yeah. A um, distributed monolith. That's a nice, yeah, that, that's, that's something to put on a t-shirt. There, there are companies, and I've worked at some, that, that say we need to go to microservices. They don't really know why, because just we need to do the, it. The market and, says so. Yeah. yeah, and they build um, a big application with one front end, like an Angular front end or something. And it's calling different APIs. But when they have to release the software, they release the software every two weeks. They needed to release all the different mm. microservices <laughs> together. <laughs> because they depend on each other. They have APIs that call other APIs, et cetera, et cetera. And they always needed to deploy everything together. So, it's so you same, lose all the benefits new. from microservices and you get only the negative sides because yeah. you need to distribute your deployments. You need to rebuild all your artifacts. You need to redeploy all these artifacts. But um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a funny, well, it's not fun, but if, if, you, if you did that sort of exercise, you try to get um, some sort of order in the mess, but don't you create um, out of the order another mess then? Because in the end, it's, yes, so it's... there are ways how to solve these kind of problems. So um, distributing your application means you're going to deploy a lot more, right? So you're going mm -hmm. maybe from one deployment a month to 20 deployments a month per month, or maybe much more. Mm -hmm. So your number of deployments will go through the roof. The only way on how to um, tackle this is to automate your deployments. Automate the entire process of building an artifact, testing an artifact, pushing it to some kind of uh, artifact repository or a registry, and then deploying it automatically. So you need tooling for that. You need uh, some kind of um, platform for it, 
which we sell, by the way. And you need, um, ah. you need tools for it to to, de to actually deploy it. There's a lot of open source things. Um, for CI, a lot of people use Jenkins, obviously, that's the most popular one. Um, for CD, so continuous deployment, um, we use, uh, often we use uh, Spinnaker, which is an open source uh, component. Mm -hmm. And you can very easily um, create deployment pipelines um, with Spinnaker over multiple clouds, over multiple versions and apps and everything. So it's a really cool tool to, to, um, to manage your deployments with it. Uh, they're all, but they're all it just me, I'm just trying to say that you need tooling for that and you need to uh, automate as much as possible. Uh, a, a really newbie question. Um, <laughs> sure. But, but I'm thinking uh, this is for organizations that have developer teams and so on. Um, because I would have a question like, why don't I buy something from the shelf to do those kind of things instead of developing it myself? Mm -hmm. what, what are the benefits on, on doing this yourself and not looking for products on the market? Uh, there are benefits. Of course, you can do it yourself, but then you need to sustain everything and build your. Yeah, there are there are many and... um, there are many really good off the shelf software. Uh, for example, for um, ERP packages, uh, we know quite a lot of them, starting with S, ending with P, um, <laughs> <laughs> and they SOP, um, SOP, yeah, yeah, SOP, maybe, SOP. and <laughs> they are um, they're quite good at what they do, but usually they get customized as well. Yeah. You have a lot of those expensive yeah, consultants yeah. that customize the ERP package specifically for the customer. So usually the customer is trying to differentiate somewhere. So yeah. if they all would use the same standard package, then how would they differentiate in, in, yeah. in IT or in digital services? Yeah. Um, so, yeah. so somewhere their process is different or faster or more um, integrated somewhere. Um, so usually in bigger companies, you see that they have yeah, okay. um, at least some custom development software. Yeah, yeah, and and once you start to start customizing uh, an off-the-shelf package, it becomes very hard to change it again. It becomes a liability and a risk. Yeah. 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 Um, at at a, a banking customer in the Netherlands, um, we uh, we are now currently, um, well, they they used to customize their ERP package as well a lot. They had a lot of software developers for that. Uh, they were quite expensive as well. And they decided to say, we will start using, and the upgrades for that package was expensive as well. Mm -hmm. They decided to just use the standard ERP package as it is, because it is really good at what it does. But all the custom information, custom services and APIs, they just built next to it or on top of it uh, and ran that on our platform. Yeah. Um, so they're basically so that's using, the way of doing it as well. They're basically using a, a monolith underneath and then try to differentiate um, at the top, if you would like with, to with uh, sub components, yeah, yeah. With sub components, then. yeah, yeah, or building APIs on top. Exactly. Yeah, voilà. yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, okay, cool. Because it's a it's, it's a very uh, we're, we're, I was looking at the swiftbird.us uh, website and I saw the event storming, uh, mm -hmm. it, it, it looks a mess. Uh, uh, if, if, you, if, if I scroll down, I'm not sure if, it then, if, it, if that is the second step of the process, but I saw the Boris exercise. Is that something that you're doing as well, or is it something completely different? Or No, so the SWIFT method is indeed a couple of these exercises combined. So okay. you start with event storming. It's very high level. It's with business people, and it's probably a day, two days, maybe three days. 
Mm-hmm. Um, the Boris exercise is meant to um, um, visualize how the systems would interact with each other. Yeah. Um, and it's a really cool or, or, or yeah. handy way of, of visualizing it. Uh, it basically has colors saying um, this is synchronous communication, this is asynchronous communication. You can start seeing where the, all the dependencies lie. If all the communication is going to one component, maybe that component is doing too much or it's very important. And it, yeah. um, You can see where you could use message broker or, or messaging middleware because um, asynchronous communication goes over it. Um, so it's a really handy tool to visualize um, a business flow into um, actual processes of, of systems. Yeah. Um, and- and and is is that does is that on the last step? I don't think so. No. So in parallel, uh, you you can while you're doing the Boris exercise, you would um, actually do like the Snap E um, exercise, and it's basically um, you, you're recording on each component, so, so on each um, uh, on each aggregate. So mm-hmm. I think it's the the blue uh, the blue uh, post-its in, in the image. Um, you're collecting data and, and uh, on all these components. Uh-huh. Uh, you're going to check what is the API of this component, what kind of data is this com- component storing, and uh, what are the, the high-end user stories that we can um, deduce from this from this component. Mm-hmm. What, what is the use for this component? So it needs to do a couple of things. We can just write them down. And all these stories can be the basis of our, our backlog. So when we start mm-hmm. developing, we can use this as a as a first step in, in the backlog. Um, so it's really about mapping out and planning out uh, how we will build this, this architecture. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, the APIs are really important because the APIs is how you um, communicate to other components. Yeah. Uh, and it, it's, it's very handy to put some thought in, in a good API. I, I can imagine that during this process, you need a strong hand to avoid adding new features immediately. Because this this sounds like a mapping exercise, as, as you explained. Mm-hmm. Uh, mapping out all the different components, subcomponents, functions, uh, directions, as, as you mentioned. Mm-hmm. It sounds like as soon as you have this mapping, it's super easy to add new functionality. Uh, yes, but uh, usually we have these kind of exercises from um, like a product manager or... Um, people that are building the product, they get to say, what are the most important features that you want? Everyone can write down three or five or whatever. Um, Everyone from those five, you would tell everyone, take your three most important out of those five. Mm -hmm. Um, And then uh, after that, you would even say, take your most important feature. So everyone holds up their most important feature. Um, and you give the other four to the person next to you or something. And then you say, everyone can rip up the four uh, papers. Just rip mm. up the four papers because it's the most important one in your hand that that's, that we will work on first. And that, so so there, that, there's all kinds of techniques to, to really focus people on getting working functionality in a product uh, before starting on 20 features at the same time. Yeah. 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 Mm. And that creates then in the end the, the minimum viable product then because in the end maybe the five functions are important but you're only going to focus on one. That is then yeah, the most exactly. important one. Mm-hmm. And um, we all always try to make, when we are actually start developing, 
the user stories are actually very, very small. So they need to be able to, to develop it in, in half a day or a day. So they're very focused, very small. You want to have a small little feature added to your product and then start on the next. Um, a lot of some software uh, development uh, practices like uh, we do um, Scrum or we do Agile, right? And we have a two-week sprint or three-week sprint. And some of the stories are, are 20 story points, if you know what, I, what that means. But mm-hmm. uh, it means it's a very big story and it can maybe be done in one sprint. Um, and, and that's just for much too big. It's way too big. Um, people need to split it up even more, focus on this is the core functionality that I want to add and just add it in a day or two days, test it and, and start adding new stuff. So, yeah. so uh, I, I saw, uh, you said, I, I think everybody knows it. What's, I can tell stories, but I don't know if that's the same, uh, the same definition as your story. So what is the story for the people listening? A user story is um, something that you write down on a post-it usually or in some kind of digital system like Jira. Um, mm-hmm. And you um, basically on a, put, a little post-it, you put as a, um, as a role. So it could be as a user, I want to order a book. But that's okay. very general. You know, that could take yeah. three sprints to develop. So you would have to specify more like uh, as a user, I want to select a book from the bookstore mm-hmm. or as a user, I want to, uh, or as a, as a book, potential book buyer, I want to search for a book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's also, that can also be very broad. So it depends on the product, but uh, yeah. searching for a book could be a very, very difficult story. If you have to search through 5 million books and you have to have, 20 different criteria and sorting and uh, sort by quality, sort by user reviews. So it can get uh, very complicated very fast. So that's it. Getting down to a small size story is is not an easy thing to do, actually. Hey, uh, Dieter, maybe one last question because we try to keep it somewhere under the hour. Uh, And I think we we need to invite you again because I think we're not we're not done yet. But um, uh, what I what I heard uh, most of the time is uh, end users, uh, mm-hmm. which is which is I think where you yeah spend ninety nine percent of your time, uh, but uh, well that, that is the idea. <laughs> uh, but let's say um, I'm listening to this podcast as a partner, mm-hmm. and I say okay this is a very nice uh, uh, story, uh, a very good approach. Um, what how can they start? Um, with um, with 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 talking the lingo you are talking, what what should they do? What should they invest in? Uh, okay, so they they um, could listen to the podcast, of course. But um, <laughs> of course, of course, we we work with a lot of partners, local partners, and global partners uh, at clients. Mm-hmm. Basically, um, for example, at the banking client in the Netherlands, we're working with um, Cognizant, and uh-huh. they help us to get scale inside of an organization. Um, for example, the, the, the customer we're talking about has more than 200 or 300 teams of developers. Uh, they're working in kind of a DevOps model. So they have product teams. They have um, thousands of developers, more than a thousand at least. Mm-hmm. And we cannot enable them all uh, very quickly. So. Uh, we, we delivered the platform there. They're moving everything to the public cloud on our platform. And um, it's going quite well, but 
we can only offer so much. We have a couple of people in services uh, at that client that help them out, but we usually um, um, take partners, local partners or global, that can help us deliver that story to more teams to uh, scale up um, <clears throat> to the adoption them, of the platform and to enable them. Yeah. yeah. So um, we usually partner, if they don't know how we work yet um, and we see them as viable partners, we just take them along in our, in our engagements mm-hmm. and um, they just learn along with the clients and then they can also spread the word in the, inside of the organization. So, all right. Um, so that's actually uh, actually learning by doing, which is, uh, yeah. in, in, in my view, a very good way to learn new stuff and immediately uh, apply it, uh, apply the newfound knowledge to the to that same customer, or even uh, become a sponsor within their own company at that moment, mm-hmm. which is very good. Which is very good. Yeah. All right. Exactly. Cool. So, uh, not sure, Fredericks, if uh, you guys have uh, some questions left. Too, too many. Too many. <laughs> <laughs> I have more questions than when we started. So. Yeah. Which, is, which, is, which is good, I think, because then we need to write them all down and, and, and need to invite uh, Dieter again, I think. Yes. Um, Very good. I'll be happy all, to. Always welcome. Always welcome. Um, Dieter, maybe one last thing. What, what's the, the one thing you want to give our listeners um, um, about uh, Pivotal or right now becoming Tanzu, what is the one thing uh, you want uh, our listeners to take away? Well, I think it's very exciting. It's going to be a very exciting year for us since um, I think we can offer some um, knowledge to VMware, but VMware has really a lot of um, skilled developers and skilled uh, solution engineers that can deliver this message to more customers. So. Um, what I want uh, the readers to know is um, I think the pivotal way of working will just become more prevalent thanks to VMware. Uh, I think that we can deliver this kind of um, way of, of building software um, to more customers. And I think that's uh, that's a great thing. All right, cool. All right. So uh, I think that uh, that's that's okay, guys. For me, it's okay. I, I want to continue, but <laughs> so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop you, Frederick. I'm going to stop you. Um, so thanks, Dieter, for for being on the on the podcast and giving giving us a, a glimpse. I, I'm I'm assuming in in your world because uh, um, for for me, uh, I, I learned quite a lot of uh, on this podcast already, and we're quite exposed to uh, to the new technologies already. So I'm, I, I can. I can imagine that people listening to the podcast might be a little bit overwhelmed uh, from from as, as am I. A whole, <laughs> a whole new world has opened. Yeah. So, um, so I, I think we uh, we just uh, will continue exploring the whole new world, uh, and then uh, and then you'll uh, you'll be our 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 guest again on the on the podcast, Dieter. So. Uh, Thank you very right, much. Thank, thank you, you guys much. for um, for being on the on the podcast again. And um, well, with that, I would uh, really like to conclude it. Thank you very much, Dieter, and uh, talk thank to you. you. Bye bye. Bye bye. Talk to you soon. Thanks, guys. Bye bye.